I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. We made it. It's the end of 2021. Right now, the kids are at home. It's winter break. It's awesome. So, last winter, which feels approximately about 39 months ago, I was struggling to sleep, and the whole situation was starting to get to me, and Becca suggested I try finding a small meditation program online, and I'd never never really meditated before, but I figured I would try it, um, because I like sleeping, and I wasn't, so yeah. There was a lot going on in my head. Um, Our lives, I think, for almost every member of our family felt a little bit sort of bipolar. Uh, During the week, it was a never-ending string of Zoom calls, online school frustrations, um, teaching a nine-year-old how to use Microsoft Outlook, which they probably shouldn't have to use, isolation due to reimposed lockdowns, Seattle rain and darkness, and trying to focus while children argued over Legos. It wasn't terrible, but there was this feeling of disconnectedness. If that's not an official emotion, it is for me after last winter. I guess the best way of describing it might be like watching the world go by from the tiniest window. Life isn't meant to fit inside a screen. It's meant to be lived. But on the weekends, we were always skiing. Our little travel trailer became this like life raft of joy uh, to outdoor socialization, to activity. We take it up to the ski resort and we get to ride masked up um, and see friends on the lifts the kids could ski with their friends. Um, they were able to have in-person lessons. Uh, and Becca and I would trade sneaking in two hours of backcountry touring with a friend at dawn or at the very end of the day. It'd be an hour and 45 minutes of exercising to the top of one of the valley's peaks, and then a few minutes of pure mental and physical precision through steep shoots and trees on the way down. At night, we'd stay outside until we were all shivering. The kids would sled. The adults would sit around and talk and laugh. Then we'd curl into the trailer, illuminated by a string of holiday lights, and play cards and read books aloud until we all fell asleep, tired from a full day. This was the best version of life I could imagine, and I wanted to carry that home with me. So on weeknights after wrapping up the day, Becca would head to bed, and I would take a few extra minutes to sit and meditate. And at first I followed the program, but eventually I felt like I could do it on my own. I'd center my breathing, and then I'd run through the weekend memories, letting images move like scenes in a movie, sun filtering through snow, the glow of lights from the trailer in darkness, the close human connection of four humans in a tiny space, the pull of gravity and the comfort of uncertainty I feel practicing my mountain craft. No narrative thread to it, just happiness and purpose on loop. And then I could fall asleep. What we bring back with us in memories and learning from our time outdoors is powerful. It's why I've dedicated my working life to crafting stories about it. 
And there's an odd tension to it all, right? The difficult things, the risks we take, the memories we create out in natural spaces, they don't always feel as challenging as life on flat land. Today, Emily Ford brings us the tale of her journey on Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail during the heart of last year's winter. It's a story of courage, determination, and most of all, friendship. I'm Fitzko Hall, producer Ashley Langholz has the story. You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Happy holidays. A thousand miles is kind of like that first stamp for like long distance through hikers, you know, I kind of want that stamp and see if I really, truly like it. This is Emily Ford. She lives in Duluth, Minnesota, an outdoorsy town along the west side of Lake Superior, about 100 miles south of the Canadian border. She moved here after college, met some hiking friends and got familiar with the local trails. Over time, she pursued longer and longer hikes. In 2017, Emily connected the Superior Hiking Trail and the Border Route Trail for a total of about 300 miles. She loved it. In the summer of 2019, one of Emily's friends told her about the Ice Age Trail, a 1,200-mile thru-hike that winds through the state of Wisconsin. The trail was designated as a National Scenic Trail by the U.S. Congress in 1980. So it follows the last extent of the last glaciation that came down and kind of smushed uh, and shape the land here for us in the north, in like the Midwest. And so that's kind of why it winds up and down and around and all of that good stuff. Emily set her goal. She sketched a plan to start on the east side of the state and work her way back west, toward home. One big question remained. When? From March to December, Emily's a gardener at a museum. And after hours, she gardens for private homes in Duluth. I don't really take much vacation during the season. It's pretty tough to like, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> That's why like winter time is so important to me. Cause like when I know that the snow flies, I'm like, yes. Emily devised a plan for her vacation to through hike the Ice Age Trail in winter. <laughs> Usually people are hiking in all the other seasons, spring, summer, fall period, especially through hikers. There's a dude, his name is Mike Summers. His trail name is Animal. Uh, he hiked, through hiked it in 2019 in the winter. There's likely a reason only one person had completed the trail in winter. It's burly. Winter in Wisconsin is cold. Most days, the temperature doesn't get above freezing. The average high in January at Emily's starting point is 28 degrees Fahrenheit, and the low is 16. And that's the actual temperature, not the wind chill factor. It's not uncommon for Wisconsin to hit negative 30 degrees at some point in the winter. When that happens, exposed skin feels like it's being poked with tiny needles, and breathing feels like ice crystals are forming in the lungs. So I've grown up in Minnesota my whole life. I grew up, you know, sitting out on the ice, you know, snowshoeing and snowmobiling, all this stuff. So in my mind, I was like, oh, totally. I got winter in the bag. I ain't got to worry about anything. The first time I slept outside in the winter, 
I went out with a buddy and he brought like the canvas tent and we had like a fire going inside. And he's like, yeah, do you have a sleeping bag? I'm like, totally. I have a sleeping bag for this 30 degree bag. Like that'll be totally warm enough <laughs> for you know, like a 35 degree night. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> oh, I had no idea what I was doing. Despite shivering through the night, Emily liked it. Well, she liked it enough to try it again the following year. She took a backcountry ski and dog sled trip in the Boundary Waters. This time, the outfitters provided the sleeping bags. It's still to this day, to this day, it, it is still the best time of my life. Yeah, the Boundary Waters in the winter is like none other. By October of 2020, Emily's work started to wind down. The days became noticeably shorter and the nights got colder. She spent her evenings planning her 1,200-mile vacation. I made a whole Excel spreadsheet on what I'd need. I looked up a bunch of blogs, looked up a bunch of forums, kind of like how people, you know, did their calorie count for the winter. And I started ordering my dry meals, everything like that. Um, like our living room literally looked like Costco. Emily pulled all her gear together, a three-season tent that she borrowed from a friend, a negative 30-degree sleeping bag, a stove, pressurized fuel for the cold temperatures, two sleeping pads, base layers, jackets, gloves, multiple hats, and multiple mittens. I brought along way more layers than I would in any other season because the key part is not being wet. Like being dry is so important. So like I, at any given point, I had at least four or five pairs of socks with me in my pack. Emily looked forward to reading and journaling and having a mix of solitude and social interactions in the towns along the trail. A guide from the Boundary Water sled dog trip saw one of her posts on social media about her plans. She knew that Emily loved sled dogs and thought one would be a great companion on the trail and asked her if she was bringing a dog. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, do you have one for me to borrow? She's like, I don't, but hey, why don't you ask on this group on Facebook? It's like a bunch of lady mushers in the north up here. And so I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> How do you ask a group of strangers to be like, hey, you don't know me, but um, could I borrow one of your dogs for 1,200 miles in the dead of winter? Here are my really minor qualifications. Um, I've worked at a sled kennel. I've gone dog sledding three times. <laughs> like I was just like, it was like a bad dating profile. One person answered, Sherry, who said she had the perfect dog. A few days later, Emily and her partner Flo drove a couple hours south to meet Sherry and a small, black, 45-pound sled dog that stood out from the pack. We met, and as soon as Diggins came over to me, she, like, laid on her back right away and showed mm -hmm. me her belly. And, like, it was, like, oddly love at first sight. It's like she knew what was going on. She's like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, let's do this. Oh. <laughs> Emily took Diggins on several overnight trips to test their compatibility. She wanted to see how Diggins handled the tent and if she accepted a walking pace instead of a running pace. Luckily, the trips went great. So on December 27th, the night before they left, the two reunited in Duluth. Emily thought Diggins would be more familiar and comfortable spending the night outside, but Diggins cried and yipped the entire night. A neighbor even called the police. She explained the situation and promised to be gone in the morning. 
Between Diggins crying and her own excitement, Emily didn't sleep much that last night at home. The next day, Flo and a group of friends drove Emily and Diggins six hours to Pottawatomie, Wisconsin, the eastern terminus of the Ice Age Trail. I just wanted to get going, and I said goodbye to my partner. We hugged for a very long time, said goodbye to our friends, and took lots of pictures, waved goodbye, and started hiking with Diggins. It was just me and Diggins after that. I could, like, hear the truck driving away, and they had to, like, kind of make a loop, so they had, had to pass me to get out of the parking lot as we were hiking the opposite direction that they went. And all of a sudden, it was just, like, quiet. And there was nobody else around. I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> this is it. There's nothing else we can do besides walk home. <laughs> Under sunny skies, Emily and Diggins covered about 10 miles that first day. It was getting dark when she called the campground where she hoped to stay. No one answered. One of the mistakes I made in my planning is banking on places being open. And I should have known better. Like all these RV places would not be open for the winter. And they wouldn't even let me stay there. Emily and Diggins kept walking by headlamp, hoping to find another place to set up camp for the night. They eventually reached a parking lot near another trailhead at the edge of town. It didn't have much more than a pit toilet and a picnic table, but it was enough. Emily bundled up, pitched her tent, and ate dinner. Shortly after, Diggins curled up in a ball in the snow and went to sleep. I like tried to read, but I was so tired and just fell asleep. Emily's alarm went off in the dark the next morning. Some of her gear was wet from condensation and frozen hard. And I hadn't slept outside yet. So my body was really not acclimated. It's so about 10 degrees. I had on all my wares, um, made oatmeal, realized really quick that having a hot dinner and a hot breakfast used up too much fuel. By 7.30, Emily and Diggins started back on the trail. That first week, Emily learned a lot. Because the campgrounds and parks were closed for winter, she found dispersed camping areas and met people who opened their doors or barns to them. They traveled through small towns and started a routine of fueling up on hot cocoa and Rice Krispie bars at the gas stations they passed. They covered about 15 to 20 miles each day, cold, windy miles, carrying a 65-pound pack. She had been warned to take it slow, that her body may need time to build up the mileage. A few days in, her knee pain started. Her quad muscles were pulling on her patella tendon, and her kneecap wasn't tracking. All I could think about was like, I just started this trip and I already, I'm already down for the count. It hurts so bad. We run a back county road and like hobbling along. And uh, it finally just hurt so bad that I just sat down and put my hood up and Diggins curled up in between my knees. I put my legs up on my poke and I just stuck my thumb out. And a family picked me up and shuttled me to the campsite and I took a zero day the next day. Emily called an ultra runner friend to get some advice. They talked about KT tape and new insoles for her boots, but mostly they talked about not letting this stop her from reaching her goal. She's like, take this day off, but keep going. It might work itself out. Mm. And so that's what I did. Um, the next day after I took that day off, I was like, all right, Diggins, we got to get out of here. We have to hike home. 
I limped for at least like 300 miles. It was just like a fire just lit under my butt. Just like, we got to go. We got to do this. Like, this is it. Like, this is real now. Like, we're not going to not do this trip. I don't know. I'm so stubborn. <laughs> I'm so stubborn. I, I put so much work into this. <laughs> I like wanted to do it. I wasn't dead. I wasn't dying. My knee hurt. And I could still walk on it. That one day arrest was helpful. I knew what I had to do. I got a brace. I stopped at like a Walgreens, got a brace. I had trekking poles so I could really rely on those. I wasn't going to give up. (laughs) This was like my trip, man. It's your vacation. (laughs) It's my vacation. (laughs) I let my vacation wallow. I have a bum knee. She collected snow and iced her knee each night. She pushed through the discomfort for weeks until eventually the pain stopped. Emily occasionally called Flo to check in and also posted updates to social media. Add in a few local newspapers who interviewed her, and the word was out. People followed Emily's progress and started anticipating her whereabouts. That's when the trail magic started. She often arrived at a trailhead to find thoughtful gifts with the note labeled, For Emily. So, like, socks, hand warmers, candy. People caught wind that I really like Skittles and Starbursts. So like a lot of a lot of Skittles and Starbursts. Chocolate, beef jerky, dog treats, dog snacks, bandanas. Ma- people left me masks because it was like the height of COVID and I was in Wisconsin. Uh, they're like, protect yourself. I'm like, okay. Emily met a lot of day hikers and talked with people in the towns that they passed through. It's rare to see hikers with large backpacks in Wisconsin, especially in the winter. Some people tried to give her money or a ride, thinking that she was stranded or in need of help. Emily enjoyed the company of others, the small talk, and the sometimes not-so-small talk, and she also enjoyed her solitude. About 500 miles in, she planned for a zero day. Coincidentally, it snowed a foot. And it was like the realization to me of like, all right, there's going to be a lot of snow, and with these fields, there's going to be a lot of snow drifts. And we spent time just post-holing, like the snow would be up past Diggins' back, like yeah. her backpack. And she would like, I'd be like, all right, come on, come behind me. But she's so stubborn that she's like, I need to be in front. I'm going to be the leader of this. And she would just plow her way through the snow. So I kind of had a little bit of a path to walk on. And then trail magic showed up in a different form where people knew I'd be coming through their town and they would take their snowshoes out and tromp down the trail for me. Emily and Diggins got into a groove. They came to a compromise. Diggins tolerated Emily's demands to walk instead of run and Emily tolerated Diggins sniffing and digging in the snow for roadkill. Out there on the trail, Diggins provided constant entertainment and friendship. And there were times on the trail where like, I was processing my own life out loud. And even just having the presence of Diggins there was like super helpful to just like have something to, to talk at. Diggins provided motivation for Emily as well. As they worked their way northwest, the trail became hilly and covered in deep snow. No one had been through with snowshoes to pack it down. The snow was crispy on the top, but I was heavy enough where I'd fall through. So it was like post holing to the extreme. And I'd go through like two different layers of snow. So it was like a crunch, crunch. And then like my foot would go through. I was maybe going like a half a mile in an hour. And that mental part of it was, I remember looking at Diggins and being like, this is so difficult. I was like, Diggs. Don't let me stop hiking ever. I'm like, if I stop hiking, like you pull my body up this hill, like, we have to get home. And I think when people ask me, like, did you ever feel like quitting? I, I think about that time a lot. I'm like, I didn't think about quitting in that moment because A, it wasn't an option. And B, 
I didn't have phone service at that point. I was like literally in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, it wasn't an option. And, you know, we had to keep going. Diggins is named after an Olympic cross-country skier from Minnesota named Jesse Diggins. Even though Emily didn't name the dog, she was familiar with her namesake. In a video from the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics, Jessie's grit and determination made a big impression on Emily. She's the anchor in this relay. She's coming around the last bend for the final straight. And there's two teams in front of her. And she decides to take the outside. And you can see it in the video. You can see that she decides, instead of being in third place, she wants to be in first place. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that's going to stop her from being in first place. And she lights a fire, takes the outside, and passes the next two people and wins by just like a half a ski. And in this video, the announcer is going apeshit. He's like, God, Diggins making a move around the outside. And then he's like, she's making a move around the outside. Diggins, here comes Diggins. And he's just like screaming this. And it's like, it's crazy. And she and she gets the gold. And any time on my trip where like, I would have like these moments of like, I can't do this anymore. I would like think about this video. So like in that moment when it was really hard on the trail, I'm like, this is the moment where I have to decide to keep going forward or sit in front, either freeze in the snow or wait until somebody else comes on this trail. I gotta finish this, I gotta do this, I want this. I maybe even need this. More after the break. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbag diaries once again that's ketone.com backslash dirtbag diaries the link is in the show notes please check it out support comes from kuat racks the piston sr is a single rail bike rack that easily mounts on most roof racks overlanding utility racks and truck bed rack systems the dual ratcheting piston arm grabs your tires and makes no contact with the bike frame so that's better for your bike right Plus, the rack has an all-metal construction, genuine Kashima coat, and integrated cable locks. That translates to being super burly. Kuat has taken their Piston Pro X and elevated it. Find more details at kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this rack. One of my hidden talents is taking song lyrics and putting different words in there to make them funny. So, like, on the trail... 
Britney Spears is stronger. <laughs> the lyrics are like, I'm stronger than yesterday. And on the trail, I made it, I'm smaller than yesterday. Because <laughs> I, I kept losing inches. So I'd like just sing that down the, down the trail. And another song that was like really key for us was Hunger by Florence and the Machine. And I think the lyrics are like, we all have a hunger. And I change it to, we have hiker hunger on the trail. <laughs> it's like when you're hungry constantly. Emily scheduled food and gear drops throughout the hike. She stayed connected with friends and family and continued to post updates to social media. Even in a pandemic, people opened their doors to Emily and Diggins, offering whatever they could. Food, laundry, beds, barns, and lawns. Emily kept a video log and checked in almost every day. Her updates often started with the temperature. Negative 20, negative 10, negative 40 wind chill, and the occasional zero, which Emily says felt pretty warm. About 50 days into the trip, they arrived at the Shawamigan National Forest area. The trail wasn't visible, so they picked their way through the trees following a few small signs. It's just remote. It's not even rural anymore. It's just remote. And um, I get to this part in the Shawamigan. It's a hemlock forest, beautiful, short-needled conifers. And we don't have many of them in Minnesota. So I think this is why it was so special for me to see this. And I was like, oh, we have to stay here. And the sun was setting. And I dug out a little spot in the snow for our tent and dug out a little spot so we could walk around. And Diggins curls up in the snow like she always does and like has one ear up just in case I drop a piece of food somewhere. And the sun like, I mean, the sun was like sherbet and the silhouette of the hemlocks were just like right there. And the moon started coming up behind us. And it was like, it felt like, it felt like somebody had turned some headlights on. The moon was like in full and it was so bright once the sun went down. Emily ate dinner and then laid down in the tent to journal for a while. When she turned off her headlamp, the owls started hooting. And then the wolves started howling. Man, I'm so lucky. This is like the pinnacle of living for me right now. It's just this. I have my dog. I have my house and everything I need. And I'm surrounded by a world that is allowing me to be a part of it. The next morning, they hiked about six miles, and Emily watched her tracker as they hit a thousand miles. I like grabbed Diggins. I picked her up, and she hates when I pick her up. I like picked her. I squeezed her so tight with her pack on, and she's just like her ears were so flat because she's like, I hate this. I was like, Oh, we did it! Like, oh, we we're like we did a thousand miles. Like, we walked a thousand miles together. You know. They passed through a nearby town where someone told them about the open fields ahead on the trail. To Emily, that meant more snow and more snowdrifts. The weather was warming a little, so the snow was thick and firm. While Diggins floated on top, Emily fell through, waist deep.
On March 5th, Emily set up her last camp at St. Croix State Park. Her family joined for dinner. Her mom, sister, uncle, grandparents, Flo, and their dog Zulu. They caught up on life and poked fun at each other. And it was like this beautiful setting amongst these tall pines. And like we made a fire. My mom brought food and we all just sat around the fire. And I just got to enjoy my family alone without anybody else around. When everyone left, Emily felt the reality setting in. Diggin spent the last night in the tent and Emily scratched her head as they fell asleep. Yeah, the night before I like told Diggins, I was like, after tomorrow, this is, this is it. And like, I didn't know what to say to do it, which would have like, we're, we're done hiking now together. And um, tomorrow we have to say goodbye. And like, I tried to explain it to her mostly for myself, <laughs> right. To like, kind of get a grasp on like, get a grip, <laughs> Emily. Emily slept in the next morning. She stalled. 69 days on the trail, and she wasn't sure if she was ready to be done. She stopped and bought a cup of hot cocoa in town and lingered to talk with people. She tried to take in those final miles on the trail and her fleeting time with Diggins. They arrived at Interstate State Park to a line of cars and a crowd of people. Flo, Emily's family, and Diggins' owner. Like the hardest part of the whole trip was probably the ending, honestly. I had to say goodbye to Diggins and like I was doing, I was talking with some friends with Diggins and then her handler, Sherry came over and she's like, Hey, I think it's time. It's time for Diggins to go home. And I I was like, so caught unaware, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. I just like broke down like, like an ugly, like an ugly cry in front of everybody. I didn't even care. I remember the thinking in my mind, like, don't worry about what people are thinking right now. Just you have to feel what you're feeling because it's been a lot. You've been through a lot. It's been a long trip. It's been two and a half months. That's a long time. And so I, I just fell and like just hugged Diggins and I was like, you, you were the best thing that could have ever happened to me on this trip. And uh, said thank you to Sherry and then Sherry took her off into the RV and drove home, I'm assuming. <laughs> was on the trail someone warned her about the post-hike blues she's like just you know be careful with yourself and be gentle with yourself when you get home the post-hike blues are like a real thing and I was like yeah okay like I'll be fine like I've done this before <laughs> like I hadn't done this before I don't know why I lied the same friends that brought Emily to the starting point also drove her back home being thrown back into her life before the trail came with some ups and downs I got home I got in the shower and uh turned on my phone and like Spotify, whatever. And like my daily mix, whatever I've been listening to a lot, my repeat, whatever that thing is called. And um, Florence and Machine was the first one. Mm. And I just like, I like lost it in the shower. I like cried so hard. So I was mm-hmm. like, Diggins, <laughs> oh, the trail, like it all kind of came in rushing, like hit, hit me. No Diggins this time to be helpful. That was the end of the Ice Age trail for me. 
It's not uncommon for people to experience grief and loss when they lose the lifestyle they had on the trail. The endorphins of walking all day, being surrounded by nature, and the lack of noise. I wanted to be back on the trail. I wanted to be back with Diggins, and I wanted to have my trail life back. Even though I was excited to be home, I was happy to be home. I was so thankful for a bed. I was so thankful to be dry. Holy buckets. But I wasn't, I wasn't having a very easy time sleeping. So actually, like my partner and I, we slept apart because I just like couldn't take any sound. Like I slept mm-hmm. in my gear room, actually, where I have, a, I have an extra bed in my gear room. I keep all my stuff. And that room's super quiet. And I, I just needed like a anti-sound chamber, you know. Mm-hmm. I slept down there for several weeks, actually, um, trying to get my mind back on track. Did you turn the heat off down there, too? <laughs> no, but it's pretty chilly in the basement. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to make a joke right now. That's perfect. That's so good. A part of Emily's sadness was also about missing Diggins. Sherry told her that she could borrow Diggins anytime. In early April, Emily took Sherry up on that offer, and she brought Diggins along on a trip to a cabin in northern Minnesota. And on the way home, I think my partner could tell that like that was something really good for me. And my partner's like, hey. Why don't you ask Sherry if we can keep Diggins? They talked about finances. They knew that Diggins' bloodlines were good and she would be expensive to buy. Emily texted Sherry. And she was like, I need to talk to my daughter. And I'm like, okay. And she texted me back and she's like, yeah, you know what? You keep Diggins. And I was like, okay, how much do you want? And she's like, we feel like you two need to be together. And so we want to give her to you for free. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like I get, I got to keep my best friend. It was very trying because Diggins is not a, was not a house dog. Let me tell you now she's bougie. She's bougie as bougie can get. That girl could not get enough of sleeping on top of a bed under blankets. I tell you. Turns out she um, likes dry blankets too. <laughs> it turns out she also likes not being frozen. <laughs> Diggins and Zulu were slow to become friends, but as time passed, things got better. They adjusted. Emily did too. Back in Duluth life, back to work, and being in the garden. She says that talking with a therapist helped her to process the trail experience and the adjustment back. I just had to like massage out my feelings towards being away from the trail. I think especially in our culture, it's we're supposed to be okay all the time. And I think that there's a misnomer that if you're not feeling okay, you're not functional, which is not true. If you're not feeling okay, you're probably actually a highly functional person. Lots of people float around the world, you know, time not feeling okay. And but but since that's a feeling we have, we don't like to talk about it when we're not doing well. And we don't like to sit in that when we're not doing well. We want to keep it a secret. And so my goal with a lot of this was when I feel like I have language for how I feel, I tell someone that I trust. This being, in this instance, my partner or my therapist. So a lot of those months after were going to my job, getting through my workday, you know, being gentle with myself, being in quiet spaces if I need to, but then also spending time with my partner because I knew that was really good for me, even if I didn't want to. Um, spending time with friends, even if I didn't want to, because I know that it was good for me to have social interaction and not just wallow in my own sadness. Um, and like I said, then when those feelings came up, just be honest about them and feel them. Even if that means like I start crying for no reason. (laughs) 
Emily kept going, just like she had on the trail. She had easy days and hard days, and days that required compromise. She's feeling better now, but says it's still a journey that she takes one day at a time. Eventually with post like blues and depression and, and sadness and all of these like hard feelings, you keep going through them. And eventually you'll get to the end of it. It takes a little while for some, not so long for others. But, it, you know, if you go through it, you'll get to the end of it. My therapist always says, this feeling won't last forever. And it's a good reminder. Just like this part of the trail won't last forever, right? If you, if you keep hiking through it, it the train will change. I promise. Maybe not in the desert, but you'll get out of the desert eventually, I'm sure. (laughs) Thank you, Emily, for sharing your story. It's pretty cool that Emily's through hike represented a lot of firsts for the Ice Age Trail. I'm the first black person. I'm the first woman, LGBTQ plus person. Um, I'm the second person overall coming after Animal. Music today from Bradley Carter, John Barry, Kai Engel, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Ashley Langholtz, Becca Cahal, Cordelia Lazars, and me, Fitz Cahal. Illustration by Walker Call, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Call is our executive producer. I'm Fitz. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.